What a wonderful blessing we have in our intercessor, our great high priest, our Savior. And I greet you in his name, the master that lived and taught us so much and showed us so much. For message this morning, I plan to be continuing in the book of Acts, if you care to turn there. Acts chapter 9. Before I begin, I'm going to ask one of the ushers to get me some water. I probably could make it without, but I have a habit of using it and it is beneficial, so I'd appreciate that. The title for today would be The Gospel for All. Previously in Acts here, we looked at the conversion of Saul and that mighty transformation that happened in his life. And following that account, the author here goes back to the ministry of Peter. And in, in chapter 9, I'm going to just be going through the, the last part of that, just, uh, and I don't plan to read that, begin reading in chapter 10, verse 1, but this, this time going back to Peter is bringing to the forefront a crucial turning point in the life of the church. The stage here is being set to fulfill the, the final segment of the command there given in Acts 1.8 of Jesus to his disciples to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and those have happened and in, in part. And now it turns to the Gentiles, to, zo- to those of the uttermost parts of the earth. And while Paul was considered the apostle to the Gentiles, it is Peter that here has that impactful, direct encounter with the reality that God accepts all people, not just the Jews. And before, Jews, Gentiles could be proselytized, they could come, they could could become Jews to some degree, but here, this was the reality that men and women were accepted as Gentiles into God's salvation. I believe it was very likely, it was likely very important for Peter as one of the early leaders to get a a thorough grasp of this. And here in Acts 9, it says that Peter passed throughout all quarters. Uh, It seems that he was active in encouraging the churches and giving direction perhaps more of an overseer than that of a missionary, and I had to think of his words to elders to feed the flock of God. 
And maybe he was writing that from some experience here. So he was going around ministering to the church and he comes to Lydda and there is a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed. And in the name of Jesus, Peter heals him and he rose up immediately. And many people heard of this. And it says many in, in the city and the region, thank you, turned to the Lord. And news traveled and news reached the town of Joppa, which was about 12 miles away, where Dorcas lived. Dorcas was a faithful follower of Christ, and she was involved in good works. Her works blessed many people. Verse 36 says, Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died. Whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. And then those that were in the area there, they knew that Peter was not far away and... They sent and said, Peter, come right away. What was their expectation? You have to wonder what was going through their minds. Did they expect Peter to come and perform a miracle? There was a lot of healing that had happened, but I don't know of any, anyone that was raised from the dead yet at this point in the early church. But Peter came, and by the power of Christ, she was raised to life. And the result of these miracles is that many turned to the Lord. These miracles weren't just done for any person's praise, but many believed in the Lord. Many turned to the Lord. And then Peter was there in Joppa, it says, for many days. Waiting, waiting on the Lord, ministering, I believe. I'm confident in some degree or another. And we begin reading here in Acts 10, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man, one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision, evidently, about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, Who is it? What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. 
And he became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Let's stop reading there just a little bit. Children, if someone brought to you a possum and laid it on your porch and said, I brought you food for supper. Skin it out and eat it. How many of you would think that was a good thing? How about if it was a chicken? A recently killed chicken, or maybe it was one in a crate yet that you could kill. Our children know how to kill chickens, and they know how to butcher them, they know how to eat them, and they do it. Wouldn't be so bad. But how about if it was a turkey vulture? Would you want to eat that? And that's kind of how it was to Peter here because he saw it, it was kind of like a dream. And this, this sheet or a, a platform came down and it was animals in it. Now he was used to eating lambs and maybe chickens or pigeons or some of these birds that were clean. But you wouldn't eat snakes and alligators and horses and dogs and coyotes. And This was to him, it was, I'm not going to eat any of that. But a voice that says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord, verse 14, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. See, earlier God had given laws in, in the book of Leviticus. There's a lot of those laws written where the children of, of Israel were not to eat unclean animals. And there were, there's reasons why God said that. But that was part of what his thinking was. It wasn't just that it wasn't used to it. He was commanded, had been commanded not to eat these things. But the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate, and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius, and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause wherefore ye are come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one that feareth God, and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by a holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. Then called he them in and lodged them. And on the morrow Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them, and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him, and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up. I myself also am a man. 
And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, Ye know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying, as soon as I was sent for. I ask therefore, for what, ye in, for what intent ye have sent for me? And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, and thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon a tanner by the seaside, who when he cometh shall speak unto thee. Immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now therefore are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. This is a pretty quick, quick trip. The Cornelius saw the vision and he immediately sent men. That was likely about three in the afternoon. Those men traveled about 30 to 32 miles. And they got to where Peter was about noon the next day. And I don't know what mode of transportation they had. I didn't do all the calculations, but they were on an urgent message, and they moved. Peter lodged them for the night, and they left. And they came, and Peter found a household waiting. We'll go ahead and read the rest of the account before going back. So Peter meets, sees them all here, and in verse 34, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word, I say, ye know which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. 
Are you awed by the mercy and the grace of God? Think of your own life. What if God, you knew of God, you knew that there was a Savior, but you couldn't attain? You didn't have the right blood. Your family wasn't of the right class. Maybe it could be purchased if you had enough money. What a sad lot that would be. But God doesn't work that way. And that's what this account was revealing to the early church in a real way. This centurion, we don't know a lot about him, but we do know that this man had the eye of God. I had to think of Job. God saw him. And here, this centurion was noticed. God knew his heart. God saw his works. And God rewarded him by giving him a, a clear understanding. I believe this man loved God and he loved his neighbor. He was giving. He was a giving man. It says he prayed always and gave much. He was faithful to what he knew. And I believe God is patient and will lead us forward as we wait on him as well. I don't believe God expected more of Cornelius than he, than he knew. But now, God sent him a deeper understanding. Hebrews eleven six says, He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And when God did reveal something to him, God came to him in this vision and said, You send men, you Expose yourself to more words that I have. He was obedient and promptly sent the servants. Peter was being prepared because God at the same time was working in his heart. You know, Peter was a Jew, as I mentioned, and he had these specific laws. He wasn't about to jump mentally into eating these animals that were unclean, that were forbidden. But God was using a physical analogy to help prepare Peter's heart and mind for, I believe, a radical shift. For a spiritual truth. It says here he was perplexed. He was, he was, he was concerned. What does this mean? And yet not for long. Because I think the Spirit told him that these men were looking for him and that he should go with them unreservedly. Nothing held back. And I believe that that gave him a sense of peace. He took along, it just says here, a number of men. Later in chapter 11 it says six men of Joppa. So these would have been Jews there from, from the church. They went with him. 
And I think Peter got it. They knew where they were going, and he said, that vision. God has something here for me, for these people. And when they arrived and he found a waiting audience, he didn't hesitate to enter and to engage. The one thing that stands out here in verse 33, the audience says that Cornelius had gathered all his, his kinsmen and near friends. And I don't know how big a group it was. But he says, we are all here present before God. And I believe that that is a, a powerful description because when we come before God with that attitude that we are here present before God, it was their hearts were open to what message that God would have through Peter. Or Cornelius relayed his experience firsthand. Because Peter asked, you know, what, what is the deal? He wanted it firsthand. Cornelius relayed his happening, and then Peter says, wow. In verse 34, I perceive of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted of him. And then Peter goes on to, to proclaim, to explain the the perfection of, of the gospel that how much they knew here, I don't know. But he says here at one point, that word I say ye know, they may have heard something, but they didn't understand. And maybe their hearts weren't ready for it yet. God was saving, saving that for now. But he preached that Jesus is that anointed one. The anointed one of God, and I believe a man that was fearing God here would have known what that meant. That he went about doing good, good deeds. He was crucified, risen from the dead, and he is the one that will judge all men. He doesn't get specific here with fulfillments of prophecy, but he said he is the one who all the prophets speak to. This man may or may not have had such a deep understanding of the, the Old Testament scriptures of, of prophecy. And he says, through his name is remission of sins. The text here doesn't describe some amazing response on the part of the people. A wailing, a, a outburst of, of anything spectacular. But it describes the evidence of something that happened in their hearts. And the Holy Spirit was poured out. Gentiles were receiving the gift. And at this point, I don't think Peter was that surprised, but it says that those of the, the circumcision, those six men that went down from Joppa with him, they were taken aback. And they were like, what is going on? But... Peter says here, the work of God is evident. The Holy Spirit, there is this is of God. Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? Now 
and I, I'd never looked at this passage before in light of, of baptism, but baptism, we say, Peter says, believe, is the answer of a good conscience toward God. It's that outward expression of an inward happening. And he says, they have the Holy Spirit, now let's baptize. So they were baptized, and Peter stayed there for, for some time, continuing to instruct them, I believe. word of this got back to Jerusalem and continuing in, in chapter 11 verse 1 and the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God and when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, Thou wentest into men uncircumcised, and did eat with them. But Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning, and expounded it by order unto them, saying, I was in the city of Joppa, pray, and in a trance I saw a vision. A certain vessel descended as it had been a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came even to me. Upon the which, when I fastened mine eyes, I considered and saw four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And I heard a voice saying unto me, Arise, Peter, slay and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean hath at any time entered into my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. And this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. And behold, immediately there were three men already come unto the house where I was, sent from Caesarea unto me. And the Spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. And he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words, whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them, as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how he had said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Forasmuch then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? And when they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. He doesn't talk about repentance there when it happened. But afterward, I believe it's under, it was expected, it was understood. Because here it says, we know that if the Holy Spirit was poured out, there was repentance, there was salvation experienced. And this truth of repentance unto life for the Gentiles was, was made plain there to the rest of the church. Now we know that it wasn't the end of the struggle. It wasn't the end of the questions. And the impact of this time, though, came up again in Acts 15 at the Jerusalem Council. And Peter, I'm going to read there verses, verses 7 to 11 of Acts 15, 
says, And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us, that, that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Here in verse 8, it says, God which knoweth the hearts, and there again is that repentance, I believe, that God saw, gave them the Holy Ghost. And I find verse 11 interesting. I've thought of it in the past, but as I meditated on this time, I saw it a little differently. He says, we believe that through the grace of the Lord, we shall be saved even as they. Grace was required just as much for the Jew as for the Gentile. No works of the law are sufficient. All stand equally in need of grace. Other scriptures that we have that we and we we know this we are we are partakers of this, but this is a very instrumental that this fact was established in the church there, and these things were repeated so that there were not two churches. That was it was a church. All were were partakers of the gospel together. In Romans chapter ten, we have Paul reiterating this fact. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call on the, upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, these things were referring specifically to those nationalities. But think also, broaden that into our present situation, our circumstances, and think about our, where we live. Do we ever think of some people maybe more uh, deserving of the gospel or able to receive it than others? But Isaiah 49.6, Old Testament prophecy, Isaiah has a number of them pointing forward. And he said, Is it a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel? I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the ends of the earth. Prophesying the work of Christ. Earlier in Isaiah 11, verse 10, and in that day shall there be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. You know, I have to, to wonder if sometimes we aren't deceived isn't quite the right word, but made to believe that we have some sort of special in on the gospel. We, we, we understand it. We've got it. 
And it was interesting as I thought back over our, our study, it was mentioned in Sunday school, in, in Church Matters, we've been looking at some of this very thing of, of ministering to people, of being salt and light. Jesus crossed social, political, and economic boundaries. He reached out to the, to the Pharisee, the high, the high man, as well as the public in the center, the, the harlots. He, he was there. He ministered to each of them. And then he hands off the torch to the disciples. In John 20, 21, Then Jesus said unto them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. We take up that responsibility of, of ministering and of, of caring for people. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, now, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. The New King James says it this way, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So as we, as we carry this ministry, we need to remember that, as the saying goes, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. All men and women, all people, have an equal need and have an equal right, an equal opportunity to the gospel. The gospel is for all. Continuing here in Acts chapter 11, the the scene changes a bit. Verse 19 it says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice, Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. When tidings of these things came into the ears of the church was at, in Jerusalem, they, they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And in those days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. And there stood up one of them named Agabus and signified by the spirit that there should be a great dearth throughout all the world which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it by the hand by the sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. 
going back to the broader church and the message coming to Antioch, those, if you remember, the, the Grecians, when the King James uses that, that another more modern term would be the Hellenists, which were, were Jews, but Greek-speaking Jews. But the hand of the Lord was upon these preaching, and that, again, stands out to me. We can do a lot of things, but if the hand of the Lord is not with us, it's empty. But the hand of the Lord was on them. They were, they were faithful. They were diligent. They were pre preaching. They were spreading the message of, the, of salvation through Christ. Because there were probably many here that were waiting. These were Jewish people waiting. The leaders there in Jerusalem sent Barnabas that he would go up and, and minister, that he would see what was happening there, that he would encourage them. Maybe bring some continuity, teach them some things that, that they needed to know. He came and he saw the grace of God. And that phrase stuck out to me here. And I, and I would like to, us to think about that. Is the grace of God evident in our lives? It says that he was glad, he exhorted them, and he encouraged them that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. And his message was effective. Why? He was full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And then he went out and he brought Saul back. He knew that, that Paul would have something to offer these people. And for a year and a half, as it says for a whole year, they assembled themselves and they taught the people. So much so that the disciples were first called Christians. Why were they called Christians? I believe it's because those around them saw a change. These weren't just Jews. These were people that were changed by the gospel. Something was evident. And my mind went to the verse that actually is behind me. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. And part of the reason my mind went there is because what happened next is when the grace of God came to these people, when they understood, what does it say that they did in verse 29? They realized that there were brethren that were going to be in need, and they took a collection and they sent relief unto their brethren. They had love. They had concern and they care for others. In closing, I would just like to ask us, have us consider who we think the gospel applies to. Who is it for? And then... is looking at this last section here in, in Acts 11. I referenced these questions or these, these ideas, but pray that our, 
our efforts would be directed by the Lord in all that we do. And that we would endeavor to have the grace of God evident in our midst. It's not something we can cook up, but it's something we can open ourselves to the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, that those around us would dare to call us Christians. It wasn't a, my understanding is that it was more of a derogatory term at this point. Will men be able to call us Christians? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Let's kneel for prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the message of truth. We thank you for Jesus, our high priest, our intercessor, the one who came and lived and showed us how to live, who gave his life. Lord, we thank you for the opportunities that we have as your children. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to be your ambassadors. Thank you that the gospel is available to each one that calls upon you in truth. And may this truth inspire our hearts to be faithful in being witnesses. As we see your hand at work in the early church up to this point and men being witnesses and testifying of the the power that is available to change lives through faith in Christ. Lord, may that grip our hearts. And may your grace enable us to be faithful witnesses for you, to each one we meet, not respecting persons or, or judging others as perhaps not worthy, but seeing ourselves in light of, of who you are and desiring to share the message with those around us. Father, thank you for the brotherhood that we have here in the congregation assembled this morning. May you take the words and the truth presented here and by your spirit planted into our hearts and bear fruit. Bring forth fruit for your honor and your glory and for your kingdom's good. Bless us as we fellowship together and as we endeavor to be faithful to you and glory to your name. We ask it in the name of Jesus.